Welcome to the Forbidden Forest. This is Ro reading chapter 32 of the Blood Magic series, Death Beasts. October 5th, 2008. Harry's lungs burned with the effort, his feet flying across the well-worn path, dashing across the gurgling stream, not even pausing to say his customary hello to Alice, who scuttled over to her burrow in alarm as he leaped across the riverbed, barely breaking stride, his feet scarcely touching ground as he sprinted back up the path to the hollow, leaving half-footprints in his wake. He cleared the grove where Draco had first found him all those months ago, broken and battered and defiant in the face of forced survival. How different he was now, his muscles toned and his heart strong, and he made it to his familiar clearing in record time, bursting through the wards and yelling Malfoy at the top of his lungs, coming to a standstill in the field beside the cottage, his hands on his hips, his chest rising and falling heavily, but a grin wide on his face, his features exuding a profound sense of joy. Malfoy, come and see, he yelled again, his voice strong and clear in the cold air. What, Potter, what in the name of Salazar Slytherin do you want? Draco said, pulling on one of his winter boots and looping a green scarf around his neck, the evening air getting steadily colder as the sun sank behind the mountains to the west. Draco looked up at him with his characteristic unpleasant glare. Harry knew he had been working on writing up his preliminary results all morning, but he was too thrilled, too shocked not to come right back and share with him what had happened. This... This was Draco's triumph as much as it was his. Draco was still glowering as he stomped over to where Harry was standing, his arms crossed and his features dark. Are you going to tell me what all the yelling was about? I was in the middle of something very delicate and important, Potter. This is not the day for interruptions. His voice trailed away as he caught sight of something coming gliding over the trees behind Harry. Illuminated against the dark blue violet sky, and his mouth hanging open, his eyes going wide. Harry, he said softly, watching the glowing form alight in the field behind Harry, shaking its head and snorting indignantly as it folded its impossibly large leathery wings. Harry grinned, nearly bursting at the seams with excitement. I did it. I cast a Patronus again. It was the last spell I wanted to try. I was so worried I'd not be able to do it, but here he is. He's changed, as you can see. I needed my wand for this one, but now that he's here, I'm not sure I would need one again, and it's lasted so much longer than my stag used to. I ran all the way from the Rowan Grove, and he's still with me. Isn't he beautiful? He said in an unrelenting stream of commentary. It's a Thestral, Draco said, rather stupidly, still staring at the glowing form. Yes, you dolt, he's a Thestral. It took me all morning, but he's here. I did it he said again, the pride pouring out of him. Why did it change, Draco said, almost to himself, his brow furrowing. I don't know, maybe it's because I died and I didn't want to come back this time? I haven't really had time to think about it. I just wanted to show you as soon as it happened. He shrugged, his stubble nearly hiding a beautifully lopsided smile and his hands reaching out to Draco reflexively. I thought of you, of these last few months, Harry said, softly now, his bright green eyes searching Draco's pale gray ones, of how you believed in me and trusted me enough to help me, 
of how you gave me the space to be who I am, the space to even figure out who that is. I've never had that before. He paused and licked his lips nervously. I thought it was over, my life. I thought I was never going to be anything but a pawn in a game I didn't know how to play. But you saved me, and fuck, you did so much more than that. You showed me how to have a life worth living, how to be honest with myself first. Harry's green eyes were bright and emphatic, and he stepped closer, his hands just nearly grazing the bottom edge of Draco's sweater, their foreheads almost close enough to touch. Harry paused his advances and whispered across the space between them. I thought of the first night you let me sleep next to you and holding your hand while we watched the stars, and I thought of all the days you made me tea and told me I'm more than my failures, and the night you let me hold you and all the ways you knit me back together when I'm coming undone. Draco closed his eyes at the same moment he leaned down, resting his forehead against Harry's, their breath mixing in the space between them, visible in the cold October air. I'm so proud of you, Draco said, his voice barely above a whisper. Harry's heart was pounding in his chest, but he wasn't sure if it was still from the run or being let in so close to Draco, sharing this with him. He had balked all those months ago at the term intimacy when Draco used it to describe them sleeping next to each other, but here, in the clearing, bodies close and Harry's nose full of the smell of Draco's dyed yarns and potion brews, of the hints of lavender and mint, he knew exactly what he meant. Intimacy. Harry closed his eyes too, overwhelmed with the urge to pull Draco into his arms and hug him tight to tell him he was proud too just for the small step between them, for this closeness, and all the nights he had let Harry in. But this intimacy was scary for Draco. He knew that. So he was the first to pull away, looking up into those soulful gray eyes to smile reassuringly and to walk Draco back to the cabin and out of the cold, still holding his hand. To put on tea and listen to him go on and on about his editing drafts upon drafts of highly technical potions research that mostly went right over his head anyway. To have a night like many others, a night full of Draco's bedtime rituals and Harry's rather loud snores. To the life they had reclaimed together, piece by piece. October 10th, 2008. Harry came back late in the evening, his hike up to the mountainous areas of the north having taken much longer than he had anticipated. He had thought he'd just get some exercise for a few hours, but once he spotted a peak, he had known he wanted to summit it, scaling near vertical stretches of rock face and scrambling up stretches of vine-covered cliff, his magic helping him grip and climb up would have been insurmountable stretches of terrain. It had been worth it, though, for once at the summit, he'd found a flattened overhang that looked out across the forest, his forest. He could see a tiny column of smoke in one of the valleys to the south that marked Tenebris Hollow, the thick carpet of trees stretching for miles and miles. It felt insulating, sheltered. Far off in the distance, on the horizon, he thought he could just make out the turrets of Hogwarts, and that too brought him comfort. Hogwarts had always been his home. He had always felt he belonged there. It helped significantly that there had been no contact with werewolves or any other stray humans wandering their way for months. Harry had also expanded his protective spells and started concealing his more well-worn paths, just in case anyone did come near their little hideaway, 
including repelling spells and disillusionment charms. It was as though he was claiming his territory, marking his kingdom as his own, building concentric circles of protection around the cottage, around Draco. Thestrals had swooped and glided in the sky, and Harry had laid back on the sun-warmed granite and watched them, marveling at the beautiful creatures. He had come a long way from the scared boy who first saw them pulling carriages, who had only imagined that they could be one thing, the tragedy, the heartbreak, and the pain of death. But they were merely guarded. They only showed themselves to who had seen such loss, felt the ache of their own mortality in the light of someone else's end. They only appeared to those who had learned that this life is fragile, that this life must be so carefully kept. When Harry saw them now, he thought of them as harbingers of empathy, of reminders that there's a world we cannot see, even if it is existing right alongside us, and that world holds mysteries we may never explain. As he lay in the glowing warmth of the autumn rays, he had thought about the place beyond the veil, about the dead who had appeared next to him, who had never left him. They too existed right beside him. Sirius and Remus were with him for all his failures and all of the work he'd done recovering. His parents, too, for those we love never truly leave us. Dumbledore's words echoed in his head as he cast his own Patronus and watched it take flight in the afternoon sky, stark white next to all his black companions. It was easier now to imagine himself less alone. He knew it was because of Draco. Draco. It was when his thoughts had focused on his companion that Harry felt the chill of the season settle on him, and he had roused himself to trek down the mountain. He'd spent far too much time these days reflecting on the feelings he might be having, the strange stirring within himself that Draco was becoming more than an enemy-turned-friend, more than the focus of his admiration, and much more akin to the epicenter of his world. Harry barked out a laugh at the memory of the note Draco had left him in his quintessence of debauchery. A little roughly drawn Hogwarts delivery owl hooting out an unmistakably clear announcement that Harry was, indeed, without a doubt, gay, his official notice. It had been so kind of him, thoughtful. And that just was Draco. He was like that now. Harry was noticing it more and more, how he cooked Harry's favorite meals when he was having a rough day, how he kept the sugar and the honey out next to each other so Harry could decide on sugar if he was already struggling, how he was always offering reassurances, even in the smallest of ways. The note was just like him. The note was just like him. He had listened to Harry, even in all of his panic and confusion, and he had come up with a way to show him he understood and he could help. Harry's chest swelled at the thought, and he rubbed his stubbled cheek thoughtfully. There were so many layers there, so many problems. Harry had spent the hike back convincing himself that he was only suffering so many waves upon waves of embarrassingly vivid fantasies about the blonde man and his graceful ways and charming smiles and furrowed brow above his ever-hiccuping cauldron because of their isolation, because Draco had saved him, because Draco kept saving him, and because, with Draco, he felt needed. He felt strong and protective and safe, more so than he had in years. And that was just it, wasn't it? 
He was attracted to being a savior, wasn't he? Hadn't Hermione diagnosed him with this complex in first year already? Draco didn't need someone lusting after him. He didn't need the added complication of Harry's newfound sexuality and markedly increased libido. He didn't deserve it, actually. He deserved someone he wanted back, and Harry felt awful at the idea of trapping him into this nightmare where they shared a cabin in the middle of nowhere and Draco had no option for escape, no choices. How would that make him any better than the men who had hurt him? No, it wouldn't do. Draco deserved better. He had reached the conclusion that he was just a newly gay man with a newly refreshed sense of self and a new grasp on his life with very little fantasy fuel and too much spare time just as he entered the hollow, the familiar smell of wood smoke coaxing him home. Harry stopped alongside their wigan tree and whispered his little growth charms, the ritual having resulted in the little twig doubling in height and quintupling in girth, looking as though it had inhabited its little mound for nearly a decade already. Harry ran his hand across the trunk happily, so pleased with how much progress it had made. Draco was right. It was so satisfying to watch something grow, to be part of creating life, to have something they were nurturing together. He ducked under the little sag in the roof that now housed a family of bearded tits, their redecorated nest relined with moss and accentuated with the wild collection of twigs and dried leaves, whose little pinging calls had become part of the symphony of the hollow, often punctuated much of their morning routine. Harry had named the little breeding pair Marie and Pierre after listening Draco go on in French nearly a whole afternoon, and he was looking forward to meeting their little brood of chicks they would hatch and giving them equally fanciful and exotic names. Draco was in the kitchen, humming to himself while he peeled carrots for dinner. Carrots from their own garden, even. Draco hadn't turned around when Harry came in, and he didn't rush, taking off his boots and winter coat, distracted instead by the graceful line of Draco's shoulders, half uncovered by an oversized sweater he had obviously knit himself, though about four sizes too big for his slight frame. The sleeves pushed up dramatically so his hands could be free to work, dark mark be damned, scars be damned. It was a dark maroon, almost purple, but Harry could imagine it was nearly Gryffindorian, and his heart clenched in his chest at the sight. Draco turned and caught him staring at him, coat still only halfway removed. What's wrong, you git? You look as though you've had such a fright, and I know it can't be the soup I'm making, because it smells incredible, and if you don't want any, it's fine, I'll eat it myself, even though you've been gone all day and didn't even let me know when you'd be back and if you'd be here for dinner. Draco was grinning slyly, his eyes bright and soft and kind, and creased at the corners with his obvious joy that he was indeed home at last, and Harry's mouth was suddenly so very dry with how effortlessly beautiful he was, and how stupid he had been to take so long to notice. Draco had turned back to sweep the carrots and celery and potatoes he had chopped into the pot onto the stove, and Harry felt such a surge of all the things he wanted to do, an all-consuming hunger that made him lick his lips and hold his breath, waves of desire, inevitable as the rising tide, drowning him in images of Draco, pushed back against the counter, and Harry kissing his skin and tasting every inch of his flesh and Harry's breath hot against him with the promise of pleasure, of wanton adoration. It does smell amazing, he finally said, softly, carefully. 
his eyes closed, not wanting to give away the tightness in his chest, the difficulty he was having just with breathing, just with being so close to someone he wanted to take in his arms like he'd never wanted anything before. It was running down his spine and in his blood, and for fuck's sake, he was hard, and he didn't dare breathe, because all he could imagine was the growl that would escape his lips, and he had just told himself he wouldn't do this. He wouldn't. His body was thrumming with it, and it took him several more silent seconds to swallow down the pull, the hunger. So Harry took a bath before dinner, disrobing and filling the tub waiting for the water to heat up until the steam was slowly drifting off the surface and filling the small washroom. His body was on fire, his skin radiated heat. He felt delirious with need, aching with the desperation of it. He had been hard since he got home, and making small talk while Draco excitedly described his research breakthrough and his garden harvest and his wonderful delicious soup he was so proud of was too much. He kept getting distracted by the way his hair fell over his eyes and how soft his skin looked and how long legs ended in the draping of his oversized sweater and all Harry wanted to do was slip his hands beneath it and find the dimples in his lower back and run his hands down along the curve of his ass. A low growl did escape from him this time and he ran his hands down his stomach to his cock. Precum already leaking from him, one hand wrapping around himself and the other gently rolling and lifting his balls, which felt almost tender and heavy with need. It had been a month since he'd gone and had his six-in-a-day misadventure in avoiding cravings, and he had only gotten himself off twice since. That had obviously been a mistake. His libido was back, and it was as if he was in the grips of a second round of puberty, everything too sensitive his urges always just beneath the surface, his self-control not nearly good enough. It wasn't as though Harry had properly gone through the first round anyway. He had been in the middle of an adrenaline-fueled panic over whether or not he'd live another day or be responsible for the downfall of wizard kind. He hardly ever even thought about sex in those days. Most of his testosterone ended up in fits of rage or bouts of unexplained anger. Looking back, he realized that if he had known he was gay, he probably would have had a boyfriend and a sex life and a way to relieve some of the pressure he always felt building inside him, eating away at him. So here he was, 27, and just rediscovering how much he enjoyed having an orgasm, how much he needed it. He put up silencing charms and was shy for only a moment, distracted by the absolutely sinful idea of Draco walking in on him watching him, teasing him while he stroked himself. He could easily picture his smirk and snarky commentary. Is that all you can manage, Potter? I expected more from the savior's cock. Harry bit his lip, the thought making precum seep from the slit held in his fist. Harry's magic conjured lube within his palm without him really thinking about it, a spell he had found written in the margins in one of Draco's books on pure-blood housekeeping and quickly memorized and mastered wordlessly. His hand slicked. He slowly pulled his grip down his shaft, softly groaning at the sensation. He knew he wasn't going to last long, his hand twisting back up and circling the sensitive head of his cock, his skin shivering and his mouth falling open with the hedonistic pleasure of it. The lube he had conjured dripped down his shaft, and Harry coated his second hand, rolling his fingers around each ball in turn, 
not wanting to come too quickly, too caught up in enjoying every sensation. He brought a foot up and rested it on the edge of the still-steaming tub, his lubed fingers now rubbing slow circles over the sensitive slip of skin just below his testicles, his brow furrowed with the new sensation, his breath hitching and his balls drawing up in response. He kept himself balanced on the edge of his orgasm for a moment, his eyes closed and a low, desperate moan escaping his parted lips, before pulling a few quick strokes up and around the head of his cock and coming hard in his hand, the force of his orgasm leaving his legs weak and his breathing fast. Harry stood a moment, reveling in the petit moor, his mind blissfully blank and his desire quelled for the moment. He did a quick cleaning spell and lowered himself down into the hot bath, feeling more at ease than he had in months, dropping low into the water, eyes closed and the heat wrapping itself around him. It was long before he felt the need to get out. A pair of common loons called from the little pond, their eerie tremolo trills echoing across the hollow and out into the night. When you are, let's do this. The Patronus. Number one. Oh, yeah. So I wanted that to be his last spell that he did, like mm-hmm. when his magic was coming back, because yeah. I thought it would be the hardest one to do. Mm. I think for obvious reasons. I mean, like collecting that happiness and that mm-hmm. sense of joy and peace. Yeah, and I made a mention in part one that his Patronus, like as things got worse and worse, it faded mm-hmm. and it became like weaker. And so he would need so much more to, like, build up to being able to cast that again. Yeah. And it's changed. It's a Thestral. Yes, it's a Thestral. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Um, are we going to talk about why? Because it's a bit spoilery. Yeah, I don't think now yet. Uh-huh. But I do love that the first thing he did was run to go tell Draco about it. <laughs> and they have that great moment. Yeah, which it's a just, really like, nice moment. melted me. <laughs> yeah. Another moment you start crying as I read. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Um, yeah, I wanted to play... Really lovely. I really wanted to play with this idea in this chapter of him, like, okay, now he knows he's gay, or he's, like, mm. you know, coming to terms with the fact that, like, oh, I'm actually attracted to men, and now he's isolated yeah. with another man of his age who's also interested in men. Mm-hmm. And this idea, like, he respects Draco so much, mm-hmm. but at the same time he's dealing with, like, all of this internal... Yeah conflict about it yeah like what do you do with attraction yeah especially when you don't know if it's going to be well received or returned or is it appropriate to even like exert your attraction yeah at other people when you're trapped in isolation in the forest is that appropriate he draco doesn't have an escape from him Mm -hmm. if harry makes some kind of weird move on draco and draco doesn't want him to what they're just going to share the same bunk bed yeah. again continually that would be so awkward yeah like what if Draco was like oh my god no yeah like would he feel safe yeah exactly all of that like building and trust and would be yeah it that would be such a horrible thing so I really wanted to work through this idea that like he has all of these feelings he knows how inappropriate they are and he has to do something with them yeah so. And, like, the onus is on him to be responsible for that. Like, he's not making Draco deal with that. Yeah, and actually he needs to step back away from Draco. Yeah. Like, he actually has to be the one to be like, nope, goodbye. Yeah. 
I gotta go. Yeah, even though he got, like, real cute and close with the Thestral thing. And then yeah. he was like, okay, and now I'm being responsible and taking a step back. Yeah. Here is your personal space. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I, I refuse to put you in a position that, you know, is going to make you feel so uncomfortable. Yeah. That's sort of what I wanted to do with that chapter. Yeah, I love that. And I wanted to model that, too. Yeah. Because that's not a a story or a plot that anyone ever sees in modern anything it's always the dude is like super intense yeah you know like i'll die without you yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) it's like oh no no you won't (laughs) that's super unhealthy yeah you will not die without someone like pitying you yeah and giving back your attraction no you know so i wanted to sort of hand that over yeah definitely this is how you make sure you're not being you know, pushing yourself on someone, Mm. especially someone who may not be comfortable enough to like verbalize, like I'm overwhelmed. Yeah. Yeah. Cause obviously Draco struggles with that. Yeah. And we've been very clear up to this moment building that. Yeah. So yeah. No, it's great. Um, and I think also like we start playing with this side, like this trope of force proximity and what does that actually mean? Exactly. Like, I mean, it's, it's one of the tropes in the fandom that I absolutely love. Oh, I read it all the time. I read force proximity constantly Mm. and bonding, you know, like Mm -hmm. just like they can have like obviously inherently problematic elements, but they they can be so fascinating to read. And I think that's something we really wanted to play with in Mm -hmm. this. Obviously we're not doing a bonding thing, but the force proximity is like really fun to play with definitely especially like when you think about like ethics and yeah and actually there's nothing keeping them forced together except harry's staying there because it's safe for him there and that's also a thing too does he want to risk his place of safety yeah is he ready to go back to the outside world i would say not at all yeah so you know all of those things in that moment like you have to weigh against just like acting on this like impulsive primal urge, mm-hmm. which is similar to what he has to do. Like, you know, it's his body being like dopamine. Yeah. I do want the thing. Shit. Do the thing. Have yeah. no understanding of consequences. <laughs> Hedonism. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> um, but then him having to be like, take a step back. Yeah. I'm in control of myself. I can make good decisions for the future. Mm-hmm. That sort of thing. Yeah, definitely. That's like good shit. Yeah. Well done, Harry. And then he goes hiking. Yeah. The top of the mountain in the north. It's another like place in the forest. Oh, it's so interesting because like we didn't mean to do a lot of the things that we did. (laughs) A lot of it was an accident. Yeah. Like Harry climbs a mountain. Yeah. Oops. (laughs) And then Draco mirrors that by doing something else, which I won't tell you about until your chapter. Yeah. yeah. But like we did a lot of mirroring of the two of them. And, um, yeah, it's just sort of interesting how it played mm-hmm. out. Like, even physically, like, he heads to the north. Draco may head to the south. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, and the east and west. We did not intentionally do not that. It all. wasn't until we started, like, reading back through that we were like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. and But I think it kind of makes sense with, like, where we're going with their characters. Yeah. And, like, yeah, I just, I really like how that happened. It was yeah. very, just came from the writing mm-hmm. itself. And I, I also really love, so, like, we established in the last chapter, Draco hasn't left the hollow. Mm-hmm. I mean, he apparated to Hogwarts, but that's not really the same as going out hiking in the forest. And then there's Harry going miles and mm-hmm. miles around Tenebris Hollow and just casting concentric circles of magic to protect it, like, wider and wider. Just, just like, taking over the wilderness, being like, fuck this. Yeah. This is my forest. And, like, really trekking through it and, like, being like this 
is my yeah. like I understand this place. Yeah. Like I will remember this place. I'm I'm a part of this place mm-hmm. and like learning that. And I think it makes sense that he would build out wider and wider as he's yeah. getting more comfortable and like definitely learning yeah. the paths and learning mm-hmm. the parts of the forest well enough. And using magic to like cloak it and make it his own. Yeah. I thought that was really cool. No, it's really really awesome. I love that. Whereas Draco is like you could you could make the analogy to him like stirring the cauldron. Mm. He's like in one spot with yeah. his like tiny concentric yeah. circle. <laughs> tiny controlled space of magic. <laughs> yes, exactly. But also playing with like really interesting magic yeah. and um both of them mixing elements of like the magic of the forest and like being up in the up on the mountaintop and like yeah. seeing all the thestrals. Yeah. And we'll see how Draco mirrors that. Yeah. Next. Interacts with the thestrals. Yes. That's that good shit. <laughs> Um, and I also find it really interesting to look at the difference in how they deal with their sexuality. Mm. Um, like it's not super apparent yet with Draco's other than like chaos. Mm. <laughs> and, like, other than like a lot of fear. A lot of fear. Whereas like Harry is just kind of like leaning into it. Like, yeah, okay, well I guess I'm gay now and Draco's kind of pretty and <laughs> <laughs> shit, here we go. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, I'll just deal with that, I guess. And like, yeah. he seems like, you know, he's just kind of like rolling with it pretty easily and being quite accepting. Um, I, I always imagined him as someone being really comfortable in his skin. Yeah. Also. So like once he had that, like, Oh, you're just gay. Yeah. Like once like, the, pu- once the piece was there, he yeah. was like, Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm super cool with this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whereas like Draco was like, I don't know. I have to write a thesis about it first. <laughs> and then even then, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but I yeah I think that just sort of came through as like him being very like okay with himself and okay with the fact that he's like re-experienced all of this like sexual desire mm. and reflecting on the fact that normally most kids go through this like exploratory self phase yeah. when they're in their teen years definitely and what was he doing in his teen years none of this no he was like in shutdown survival yeah. mode like until... even, even drago had a bit of that like yeah. exploratory years, exactly yeah. and so like shutdown survival mode fine then once you come out of it you're you're you have to be like oh these are all these feelings I was supposed to have mm. and like never experienced. And what do I do with them? Mm. You know, like what do I even want? And so I think he's just sort of like leaning into, yeah. and that's one of the thing about the forest too, is like, he has the space. He's not worried about anything else in the world. Yeah. He, all he has to do is just be like, what do I need today? Like, what am I experiencing? Yeah. What do I want? What is, what is making sense for me right now? You know, what's going on with me? Yeah. He doesn't have anything else he has to worry about. And he has no worries of judgment or, like, mm. you know, what is, like, the outside world doing. Yeah. None of that matters. And, like, Draco's not judging him. Draco's like, <laughs> Draco's please, like please don't look at me. Draco's like, I made soup. Yeah, right? <laughs> I'm so pleased yeah, I grew so many carrots. <laughs> like, so Did you sweet. know? Yeah, so just, like, <laughs> slightly like, oblivious. Yeah, no, no. Very, very sweet, though. Yeah. Like, obviously, just... And I think that's one of the moments I wanted to write, too, that he's attracted to, like, all of this, not blatantly sexual things. Yeah, yeah. Like, just charming, like, yes. personality yes. and his kindness. And... Yes, and how how he works so hard for the things that make him happy. Mm. Like, you know, like you're saying, yeah. I grew all these carrots in our garden, yeah. now I'm cooking them. And, like, yeah. you know, how cool that is yeah. and how excited he is. And he's, like, attracted to his joy. Yeah. And I think that's, like, something I wanted to write, too. It's not like he's ogling him as like a sexual object yeah and like we have like these moments especially in the beginning where like they're noticing each other in very subtle ways like Mm -hmm. physically but 
like building that sense, like you're saying, of being attracted to somebody for so much more than their physical appearance. Yeah. Not that it's like an irrelevant part of it, but like not the entire thing. Yeah. It is certainly like a smaller piece of the pie. Yeah, I mean he's he's instantly like you know, his heart like tightens at the idea that he's wearing a sweater he made that's maroon and yeah. it looks like a Gryffindor yeah. sweater. And he's and just like, oh, I can't fucking go. It's so it's cute. so sweet. Yeah. Like, oh, God. Yeah. How adorable. Yeah, like, exactly. He, I think... He, How whimsical. Yeah. Uh-huh. I think I tried to really write that mm. he's attracted to that, like, sweet factor. Yeah. Um, and I think also the idea that Draco is so much different than, like, this, like, cold, hard exterior yeah. and this, like, cruel person yeah. that he'd always been imagined as. Yeah, and even when they, like, first started interacting, like, he had that very much, like, his mask mm-hmm. of, like, I've got it together. Yeah. I am a capable Healer, person. professional. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cold. Yeah, whereas, like, Harry actually likes the flailing. <laughs> yes. Yeah, he finds it very sweet. Yeah, and like, very endearing. endearing yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, so I really like that. I tried to write that as well. Mm. And then also write this idea that, like, he takes himself out of that moment and then, like, goes and, like, self-pleasures instead. Yeah, yeah. It is, like... Which is a very healthy response. Totally. Like, totally, absolutely healthy. Yeah, and I also remember us writing this. Mm-hmm. We were sort of building this sense of closeness between them. And the challenge of writing intimacy mm-hmm. is a huge thing. And, like, the challenge of writing good physical intimacy mm-hmm. is also a huge thing. And neither of us had ever written any sex scenes or yeah. anything like that. Yeah. And I think you were quite nervous. <laughs> as nervous as Draco. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that was one of the challenges of writing this fic is yeah. that we would eventually write physical intimacy and that's yeah. like something that you wanted to specifically do. Yeah. So I think I was just like, I'm going to write the shit out of mm. physical intimacy and like yeah. start that conversation almost in yeah the definitely and try and like trailblaze a little bit yeah so this is my first attempt at doing that and i think it shows later on too yeah. that like i keep trying to like push a little bit you as a writer yeah definitely if, if we talk about like outside of the fic mm-hmm. you know i'm i'm definitely like there's an interplay of like how appropriate is this versus mm-hmm. like this is the challenge we're facing yeah. as writers yeah and i think that was quite interesting to do. Yeah. Well, it was like appropriateness, like, is it in character? Mm-hmm. Is this like interaction believable? Yeah. Yeah. And are you comfortable with it? Yeah, exactly. And because I writer. remember it, because when we first started writing The Forest, you were like, cool, so they bang by chapter two. Yeah. And I was like, wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> yeah. I think that comes yeah. through really quick, like, clearly is that yeah. um, I'm like sort of driving this storyline of like, I want them to engage in physical mm. intimacy, but we constantly are asking ourselves, is it right? Is it appropriate? Yeah. Is this realistic? Yeah. Is this the story we're writing? Yeah. Am I just jumping the gun because I think we must just get there? Yeah. And that unfolds throughout the rest of part which two. Which is why we wrote 330,000 fucking words. Yes, <laughs> that's correct. Because we were like, with these characters that we've built... It wasn't realistic super no, early on. It, it really wasn't. wasn't. Like, you look at Draco and you're like, oh, honey, no. <laughs> yeah, like, could he... Call your therapist. He did, He couldn't even handle a hug no, no, earlier hug. this chat. Yeah, like, oh, God. <laughs> That's enough. Yeah. A little hand-holding? Good. Yeah, good. Great. <laughs> cool. I'm sure he was sweating buckets during it, too. <laughs> Just sweating. That was so moist. Oh. <laughs> a lot of wet hand-holding. Yeah, so sweaty palms. Oh, oh God. God. <laughs> oh. 
I'm sure Harry loved it. <laughs> so endearing. Yeah, exactly. Oh, my hand's yeah. soaking. It's great. It's nice. It smells like you. <laughs> oh, oh. God, I love that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's, yeah, it's really interesting because you did start, like, the, the physical intimacy stuff first. And then, obviously, like, how our writing has been this whole time is, like, a lot of call and response, right? So, Completely. Like, you just challenge and then I respond. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And that comes yeah. through so clearly as the chapters go on, too. Yeah, especially definitely. the end of part three, actually. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's good stuff. So, it, like, I find it really interesting how we end up developing, like, this... Because we start this discussion now about yeah. being in physically intimate relationships and, like, how they kind of dance off of each other a little bit. Well, I think we really start the forced proximity issue now. Yeah. And then the idea of mutual attraction from either side. And, yeah. like, when you have chemistry with someone, mm. you know. And you can yeah. feel it. And it's very overwhelming sometimes. Mm. But both of them have this question of, is this real? Is this just is forced this proximity? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Is this, is this the illusion of being together for months on end with not yeah. seeing anyone else? Yeah. Am I making a huge mistake? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Are we going to regret this? Yeah. <laughs> Are we ruining our friendship? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, a friendship that's becoming very important and also, like, they both have been so vulnerable yeah. that it, there's so much riding on it now. Yeah. Like, do you risk losing the other person? Yeah. I think this is such a relatable question for so, so many relatable. people. Yeah. Because I think also, like, a lot of relationships start from, like, just very intense platonic relationships. Yeah. You know, that's like, true. a lot of them develop into romantic relationships. And a lot of people have to ask those questions. Yeah. When do you decide to, like, tip over to the other side? Yeah, exactly. Where's the line? Mm. Yeah. Definitely. So that was the end of this chapter. Yeah. I'm happy and excited to see what happens in your chapter. I can't wait for you to read it. Yeah. Your chapter starts... Okay, so now we have Harry's Thestral Patronus, mm-hmm. but your chapter really starts with the I have questions about Thestrals. Yeah, yeah I mean, we've had them already, yeah. but this next chapter is kind of like, oh. <laughs> they what? They what now? <laughs> Okay, so thanks everybody for listening and see you next time. Yep. Bye.